Welcome to this message from Life Assembly, a thriving church in the northwest suburbs of Minneapolis. Please visit us online at lifemn.org for more information. And now join us as we pursue Jesus together. Well, welcome. I pray that you feel, felt welcome today and you feel like you are a part of the family of God. And now, even if you're um, online with us today, you're one of us. God bless you. Thank you for joining us. Um, you know, in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, th- these are the very popular or famous last words of Christ. And we see that right before this, God has given Jesus all authority on heaven and on earth. And then Jesus gives this directive. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, say all, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Our mission at Life Assembly Church is to make and multiply disciples in a diverse multi-generational church. It's on the front of our website. Why is it important to disciple? Why is it that we should be diverse? And why is it important that we're multi-generational? I'm so glad you asked. Great question. Discipleship. Therefore, go and make. It's a verb. Make. Disciples. In other words, Jesus saves, we disciple. Jesus saves, we disciple. Doesn't get any clearer than that, does it? Diversity. Disciples of all nations. In the northwest suburbs of Minneapolis, where most of us live, There are nations represented here. So many nations. I was just sharing with Steve and Tamara that I got to share the gospel with somebody from another nation in our city this week. Every nation. Make disciples of all nations. That means... And my prayer is that our church begins more so to reflect the community. All nations. Multi-generational. Pastor Dale, I didn't say multi-generational. Well, let me, let me share something with you. When Jane and I were in a church for about nine years, and it ended up being a very young church, and I am pretty sure that the older people stayed out because they knew better. There was not wisdom and there was not guidance happening in this place. And when we moved from the city and we ended up going back to the church where we got married and I started going back to school, and the very first thing that Jana and I did, the very first thing is we got involved in a life group and we were the youngest by at least 20 years. And we did it on purpose. We needed wisdom, we needed discipleship, 
and they loved having us. So we were actually wanted. It was awesome, and we were so filled with joy by being in the midst of this. As a church, I believe it is one of the healthiest things that we can do when we strive to be able to have from birth to the end of life. We need it. We need each other. And sometimes we have to forego some of our preferences. Sometimes we do. When, um, when I first started here, I was interviewed by a uh, radio station I'd never heard of, but I thought, hey, why not, right? And uh, we just started talking off, off air, and he said, well, what's your goal? And I started talking about the importance of having a birth to end of life church. And, um, and the guy said, well, good luck with that. And um, I was like, all right, it looks like I have some challenges ahead. He was quite a bit older with, than me, and so I figured there was some, some wisdom that, that he was sharing, but it was a little bit, and unfortunately, cynical. And I thought, you know what? We're going to do the absolute best that we can to be able to minister to everybody and that's why I believe that we need to disciple, we need to go to all nations, and we do that through missions, but also the Lord is bringing the nations here, and we need to reflect that. And lastly, we need to be a multi-generational church, because I believe it's in the heartbeat of God. Church, we have a mandate to pursue Jesus together through discipleship, diversity, and multi-generational mindset, and we need to continue to make those steps, and I love it. I love it. We, uh, some of you saw that we had a bumper last week, the easier said bumper. Do you, do you have, it's like 20 seconds long. Could you just play, just kind of get us in, in that mindset of, of what we're doing right now? Don't have it? All right, so it's not happening. So, Easier said is the way that we are approaching the book of James. So it's going to take me a few minutes here to, that we get on the same page and see who James is, who wrote this book, and why we are calling it this. But I think it's actually pretty self-explanatory. Um, and with the examples, we could do this all day. I mean, think of it. Parenting through a, a pandemic. Easier said, right, than done. Getting old. Easier said. By the way, where were you older folks when I turned 30 and all of a sudden caffeine was keeping me up all night? Nobody told me that. This is your fault. You were supposed to disciple me. Where were you when I was 40 and all of a sudden I'm looking like my parents and I'm going, what? I can't, Jane, I can't read. The, what's happening? This is your fault. And I'll just say this. I'm not ready for 50 yet, so hold off. Hold off, all right? Hold off. <laughs> Thank you. Not from here. Not from here. Marriage. Easier said. Going back to school later in life. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Paying your bills. Yes. Doing your homework, kids. Come on. Doing your chores. Organizing Fall Fest in the middle of a pandemic. Staff, that one was for you. 
When it, when it comes to being followers of Jesus, it is easier said than done in a lot of ways. Just have faith, they say. But hard times come and our faith wanes. Someone may say, well, just trust God. But when you do not see an answer, our trust begins to break down and we begin to question. Sometimes people say, well, it's just a season. I'm going to let you in on a little behind-the-scenes husband-wife. This would be, by law, considered confidential. My wife and I were talking, and she said to me, and I'll deny it, by the way. <laughs> she said, if one more person tells me that this is just a season, I might become violent. Sometimes that's the last thing that we want to hear, right? It's just a season. I'm thinking, do you know how long our Minnesota winters are? Do not call this a season. Man, we get it. We all get it here. There are so many things in life and in Scripture that are easier said than done. But you know what? I know that. You know that. Guess what? God knows that too. God is, is not constantly disappointed in you. He is not ruminating on all of your failures. God did not send his one and his only son for garbage. He gave himself up for you because you matter, because he loves you, because you are worth it. You are worth it. This may sound a little cheesy, but I hope it sticks this morning is that his direction is our protection. His direction is our protection. A few weeks ago, I, I, compared, um, I compared God's commandments and his direction like the bumpers while bowling. You know, that it helps keep the ball in the middle and where it's supposed to go. God's direction, God's directives, his commands to us are the guardrails, they are the bumpers to help keep us going straight, not meant to harm us, to keep us together. Keep us out of the gutter. But my friends are in the gutter. It's so fun. <laughs> Think of Israel. Israel said to God, listen, God, we really appreciate that you helped rule us in all of this. Theocracy was wonderful. But all of the other nations... All of my friends have kings. So, you know, God, we, how about you just give us a king? And God said, why would you want to be all under, and like all nations, like your friends, right? Why would you want to be like them when I am God and you guys are doing great? You're flourishing. You're doing wonderfully. And then they said, no, I want it, Mom. Dad, they're going. I want to go. And then God said, if I appoint a king, they are going to raise your taxes. Not meaning to be political, okay? Going to raise your taxes. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. I'm so sorry. You're going to raise your taxes, and guess what? We're, you're going to become slaves. You're going to have to work harder now for a king. We want to be like our friends so he had to push the button and take the gutter bumpers off. He puts these commands, he puts these directives 
to help us for our protection. His direction is for our protection. Here's my challenge to you for the next four weeks. I'm asking you to join me as we pull out some of these directions that we are getting. These directions for our protection, they are extremely practical. James is above practical and simplistic. Anybody that can read can pretty much read it and understand it. When I was a youth pastor, I saw kids connecting to the book of James, especially the guys, early on because this was so clear and easy. Women, usually I talk to the guys and how to uh, talk about marriage and relationships. Women, this is just for you. Read the book of James, and that's how I want you to talk to your husbands from now on. Okay? No hidden codes. No, I wish you just would have known, right? Just say it. Just say it. And they're going to be like, oh, sweet, I can do that. All right? Book of James. Women, this is your job. Do it and just think of your husbands. Do the dishes. Done. I can do the dishes, right? Don't put out the dirty dishes and hope that they see it and then do it, okay? That's the marriage advice for you today. That's free. Okay, clap for the, okay. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so who's James? Who's James? So there are a couple James in the New Testament, Jameses, however you want to say it. And there, there are two thoughts of who the James could be that, that wrote this. And the first one is James, son of Zebedee, who was one of Jesus's 12 disciples. And so in all practical purposes, it makes sense to think that he wrote it. Um, he would have had more gravitas. He would have had more authority. He was with Jesus the entire time, where his brother uh, James was not. And so did I, did I say the name right? Did I? Okay, James, yes. So James, son of Zebedee. The problem is in Acts 12.2, I don't have this for you. You can just write it down if you like taking notes. James 12.2, he was killed by Herod's sword. Okay, and so that was in the early 40s. So we know that that James could not have written this book, even though this book is one of the very first books that were written in our New Testament along with Galatians. So... Who does that leave us? That leaves us with James, the younger brother of Jesus. Now, I normally would move past this, but I've had a lot of people uh, confused about this and say, wait a second, you're saying Jesus had brothers? Yes. Okay, so once Mary, she was a virgin, she gave birth to Jesus, okay? But she was betrothed to Joseph. They got married, after Jesus, they had children. So these would have been the half-brothers of Jesus. Now, how do we know that um, James, the brother of Jesus, was good chance that he was never really a follower of Jesus in the beginning? Well, let's go to John chapter 7, verse 5. I believe I have that verse for you. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Pretty clear. Now, I, I will say this, one of the greatest arguments for Christ, being the Messiah, is that if your own sibling gets saved and believes that you're God, that's really hard to refute. <laughs> Any of you who have siblings, I want you to think back. Well, yeah, there's no chance, right? <clears throat> so it is likely what happened 
is that Jesus revealed himself to James after he had died and was resurrected. Well, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 7. Then he appeared to James, then to all of the apostles. We know that Jesus, after he died and was resurrected, that he revealed himself to a lot of people, and James is included in this. In one way, James, his letter that we're reading today, he was at a disadvantage because he was not in the ministry of Jesus all of those years. He probably, you know, visited and he probably heard a lot of his things and and then rolled his eyes at his older brother. But we know that he was not saved initially. But what happened is, is he began to grow in authority. He began to grow in wisdom after Jesus revealed himself to him. He becomes the first pastor that we see in Scripture. He becomes the lead head pastor in Jerusalem. Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 1, starting at verse 18, he says, Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and to stay with him for 15 days. I saw no one, none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. So there James is, the Lord's brother, pastoring the church in Jerusalem. And there's something else we're going to come back to that's just amazing to me anyway, just to see the authority that James had in the early church. But before that, there were two things that you will not find in your Bible, but are historically valuable about James. He was called James the Just because the way that he lived. Even the Jews who were not followers of Jesus called him James the Just because he was so pious and so devout. He prayed so much and he was on his knees so much that people joked that his knees were like camels. He had camel's knees. Now, some of you are like, okay, that's just folklore. Well, let me tell you that Mother Teresa had deformed feet because of out of all the donated shoes that came. She wore whatever that nobody else would wear, and she would wear shoes that were too small for her, and her feet were deformed. I bet you believe that. Why is it so hard to believe that a man sought after God so often and so much that his his physical features began to change? That's powerful. This is who we're listening from today. The second question that's in your bulletin is, why is this book written? Well, let's start reading. You want to go ahead and uh, start with uh, verse 1 for me, John? James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. So right here, the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. What's happening here? Well, there's one of two things that theologians and and commentators have thought about with this. And and the two options that they come to is, one, that James is just referring to the big church. That James is just referring to, you know what, this is not our home. One day our heavenly home is going to be with Christ, and that's who he's talking to. Option two is is how I favor it, and uh, this is how I'm going to be talking as if this is the way that it is. And it's in Acts 11.9. It says, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed 
traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, spreading the word only among the Jews. What happened? There was persecution. And the people and the Christians in Jerusalem had to spread out. So what do you do when you're a pastor and your church is under persecution and they leave? Well, I know what I would do. All right. Start sending emails. Send. 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 Group message. Send. Start making some videos. Start posting them on YouTube and on Facebook. Okay. We got we to gotta give direction. We have to give discipleship right now to our people. We need to communicate with them. So, so think of this for a second. Can you go back to uh, James 1? I'm sorry, I'm going to make you jump around with me today. James, a servant of God and those um, of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. The church is scattered. They had to go because of persecution. So think of this. We are hearing from James, the brother of Jesus, who began to gain in authority um, around the people and the disciples and the apostles. He is James the just. This man spent so much time on his knees that his knees are disfigured. And this is who we're hearing from today with the power of the Holy Spirit speaking to him, even today. And so when we're thinking of, well, hard times come, well, let's listen to the first thing that he says. So, um, to consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Number one, easier said than done, joy in trials. Boy, are we in a trial, aren't we? We are in 2020, the year that was so filled of hope, and it just tipped over like those porta-potties in our parking lot that we came to this morning, right? That's, that was a good picture of 2020 for us. Joy in trial. James was not writing this from his mansion. He was not writing this and looking at his Rolls Royce and all of his cars that were in his driveway. James is writing this to his beloved church, followers of Jesus that had to find new homes that are surviving in Antioch and in these different places. And he is talking to them. And in the midst of it, he's saying, Friends, we can find joy. And you know what? When we, find, when we face these type of trials, can it be said of us, church, that in the midst of a pandemic, that we can find joy in Christ? Could it be said of you? James is telling us it's possible. Don't be mad at me. I'm just, okay, verse three. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Some of you may remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about that. It's also steadfastness. Let your steadfastness finish. All right, keep going. If any one of you lacks wisdom, when's the last time you said, Lord, I need help. Lord, I need wisdom in this situation. We talked about the simplicity of this scripture. Martin Luther in the 1500s said that he thought James was a book of straw. He had trouble with it because it didn't have the in-depth theology of Paul and of some of the other gospels. 
But I believe the importance of this is of a man trying to, as a pastor, trying to direct his church in difficult times. And this sounds super simple, but how many of you are like, oh yeah, I guess I should ask God for wisdom. Some of your translation says, you have not because you ask not. It's kind of simple. Let's go to verse six. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like the wildflower. For the sun rises with the scorching heat and withers the plant, but it blossoms fall and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Verse 12, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test that the person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, we talked about this two weeks ago with 1 Corinthians 10, that God will never give you more than you can handle when it comes to temptation, not to life circumstances, to temptation. Here it is again. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Now, this right here talks about the nature of who God is. God is not tempting you. Just as 1 Corinthians 10 says, that all of us have flesh, all of us have desires. Not one of us will get through this world without dealing with temptations of some kind. Although they may look differently than others, we shouldn't judge other people's temptations in areas that they struggle because we have our own, don't we? All right, let's go to the next. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then, and now we, it's almost like he describes a romantic relationship in how sin works. Then after desire has conceived, so we have desire, we have conception, and then it's birthed into sin. And when it is full grown, it gives birth to death. So many people, especially people that have dealt with addictions in their life, it felt like you could control it in the beginning, didn't it? It felt like you had the reins on what was happening, but as it kept going, it began to have reins and control on you. Next. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change the shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the world of truth, through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. My dear brothers and sisters, and this is going to, we're coming now to the very last part of our um, talk today. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So joy in trials, easier said, right? Well, how about we're slow to speak? How about 
we're quick to listen? How, how about we're not going to get angry? How, how is that in your life? It's a lot easier said than done, isn't it? James is pastoring all of us today. It's using God's direction is for our protection. Some of us need to work on being better listeners. Some of us, some of you, need to be slow to speak, but quick to listen. Some of you get angry quickly. And James is pastoring all of us today, and he's saying, okay, you need, you need to get this in line here. Church, wherever you're at, wherever you are, these things are so important. I know they're easier said than done, but it is so important. I'm writing this letter to you to communicate. You need to have joy in no matter what kind of circumstances are coming your way. You need to be able to be a, a fast and quick listener, but you need to be slow to speak. And you know what? Some of you are getting angry. You're getting so angry so quickly. You need to take a step back. You need to take a step back and start listening to God. I gave you a challenge in the very beginning. I said, will you come with me for four weeks? Will you listen to the Holy Spirit? And will you partner with God to make some of these changes? Because it is protection. It is protection from you. Let's get out of the gutters. Let's step out and let's get into the lane that God has for each one of us. And I'm just going to step on some toes here for a second and say that, you know what? There, there's a time when we can't blame our past anymore. There, there comes to be a time where we are men. We, we are women, right? Yes, we had hurts. Yes, we had pains. But you know what? We can still find joy in Christ and what he's done for us. Yes, you were yelled at. Yes, you had things. Yes, you, were, you did not have the training that you should have had. But you know what? It is time to get out of the gutter and say, okay, Lord, start working in my life. I'm gonna start partnering with you today. Today. Is this teaching practical? Yes. Is it clear? Yes. Is it simple? Well, it's easy to read, right? I truly believe if, if we as a church can look at the book of James and start applying these things, I can just hear it now. Man, what's happened with you? You used to get so angry. Well, you know, I just decided I needed to start giving my anger over to God, and God's been working at me day by day. I'm not always perfect. Man, I feel like you're listening a whole lot more than you used to. You're like actually listening to what I'm saying. You're giving really thoughtful responses. Yeah, you know, I've asked the Lord for help. He, he said sometimes you don't ask for help, so I'm asking God for help, and it's weird. He's helping me, and I feel like my life is changing. That's how it works, friends. This is a part of us being a church, being pastored by the brother of Jesus. And this is, this is how I'm going to end off for us today. In Acts chapter 15, there was this council called the Council of Jerusalem. Could you put up that slide for me? This is one of the coolest things to just give you a picture of who the authority of who James is. And, and it's just so awesome. So... It says, uh, starting at verse 12, the whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and the wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. 
So here's this huge council. They were appointed to come and to, to tell and share with the disciples and the apostles everything that God was doing. And the problem was is that the Jews wanted all the Christians to be circumcised. And so they had this council to see, decide, does, do all the Christians need to be circumcised? Because Moses commanded it, they had to do it, so shouldn't it still be in the New Testament? After they hear this, James spoke up. He said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened uh, to choose a people uh, for his name for the Gentiles. So now you and me, Gentiles, are now allowed. We are in. We have a place at the table with Christ. And they're recognizing that the Holy Spirit is moving even among us. And then I'm just jumping down to the last verse for the sake of time. Verse 19. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. James, the brother of Jesus, made this final decision that changes everything for us today in this Jerusalem council. This is who we are hearing from. This is who is speaking to you and to me for the next now three weeks. This is powerful. But let's just take this for a second, okay? It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Friends, we should not make it difficult for people right now, right here, in this city, in our neighborhoods to come to Christ. Remove barriers. Remove barriers. And let's see God do amazing and powerful things in the lives of people in our community. We should not be making it more difficult than it needs to be. Amen? Would you please stand? Don't worry. There are a lot more things that James says that are easier said than done. I am excited about the next few weeks, and I can't believe it, and it's almost Christmas, and, you know, I'm, I'm one of those that um, I get a little scroogey when I'm seeing all the Christmas trees and people decorating this early on. But in 2020, God bless you. Get them out. Get them out, okay? Yes, celebrate. Those of you who like to play your songs early, you, this is the year. You go all out. I need some joy. We need some joy in what Christ has done for us. We're going to sing one song together, and we are going to go. But God bless you. Um, as soon as Pastor Andrew is done, we are, you are dismissed. Um, if you need prayer, we have people who would love to pray with you. You can just come over on the side, and they would be happy to come and lift you up in a green prayer with you. God bless you. You've been listening to a message from Life Assembly. Connect with us online at lifemn.org. And thanks for listening.